Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. Uh, with me today are Tony Goldsmith, and you can uh, find me on various social media outlets via my website at tonygoldsmith.net. And also, and I'm Scott Jones. You can find me on Twitter at, at Scott Jones Photo. Uh, super. Right. Well, it's a very special uh, edition of uh, the Paddock Pass podcast because we're here today to talk about photography. Um, we have a lot of followers uh, who are very interested in photography uh, and I know you two guys both get a lot of questions about uh, about photos on Twitter and on Facebook and, and through all sorts of uh, things so I thought it'd be a good idea to have a little chat about you know how you got into it all the rest of it um, um, the, the the challenges you face as a photographer what's different about uh, about racing photography to other kinds of photography and that sort of thing so um, I I shall be asking the questions because I couldn't take a photograph to save me life as anyone who's seen my Instagram uh, uh, Instagram account could can attest I don't know David uh, you had a particularly nice picture of Brad Baker at the the flat track the other night uh, that was yeah, but that, that was more luck than judgment <laughs> that's half the half the battle in photography is luck <laughs> Better to be lucky than good. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, exactly. Well, um, uh, that definitely applies in my uh, in my uh, in my case. Um, right. Well, first of all, uh, we'll go through uh, uh, separately, one by one. Uh, how did you get into photography, Scott? How did you start as a photographer? Uh, I started at quite an early age because my dad was an avid photographer, and by middle school, I was shooting black and white film and developing it in. Um, my best friend's darkroom that we set up in his bedroom closet. Uh, and my favorite thing to shoot even back then was uh, racing. I live quite close to Sears Point Raceway and not too far away from Laguna Seca. So um, I've always enjoyed going to the track and photographing either cars or bikes. And that has remained a hobby ever since then. It didn't become a business until 2008. Eight, I guess, when you and I started working together. And uh, that was just sort of a lucky instance of putting pictures up on the internet and starting to make connections with people. And uh, eventually that led to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Making it onto the Paddock Pass podcast. If that, if that's the highlight of your career so far, I presume. I don't know where I'm going to go from here, frankly. <laughs> I feel like I've peaked. Now I'm going to slowly back out of the industry. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure that there is much, much, uh, uh, th th there's much more to come. Uh, what about yourself, Tony? Uh, uh, for me, growing up on the Isle of Man, um, I used to go out uh, every year to watch the racing with my dad at the TT. And um, back then, I would, I would just have a little, a little pocket camera with a little bit of film in there, and uh, I'd take a few snapshots, as all they really were. And uh, for for my 18th birthday, my parents bought me my first SLR, which was a a, a Praktika 35 millimeter SLR camera. Which sadly I don't have anymore. I kind of wish I'd I still had it. Just uh, even if it just sat on a shelf, it'd be quite nice just to have it still. But and I, every year I'd take pictures at the TT. Nothing ever serious. Um, unlike Scott, I, I never dabbled in um, processing the film myself. It was always down the, down the shop with it, but, uh, and it just kind of it went from there in TT two thousand and seven, the centenary TT. Uh, at the end of that, it was the, that was the first year I had a digital SLR, uh, and I managed to get some pictures from that published, and then it kind of spiraled out of control from there. 
to to where we are now. We're working in MotoGP with with you, lovely gentlemen. There's a downside to everything. Tony. There is, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe I could go if I could go back and and undo it all, and maybe I would. Um, uh, so I mean both of you have uh, clearly have a passion for motorsports I mean your uh, Tony your your uh, photography really comes out of the uh, out of your passion for motorsports more than anything else yeah um, like I say uh, I was always watching the TT um, and it's only really for me when we talk motorsport it's motorcycle racing and nothing else I have no interest in four wheels it just doesn't do it for me at all so it's uh, it's purely motorcycle racing um and yeah from 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 there just started taking a few photographs and uh, but i have tried cars on occasion and uh, it doesn't doesn't do it for me so it is purely motorcycle racing uh, scott you you've shot cars haven't you uh, um what's the differences i mean which one do you enjoy more and how come you ended on bikes and not cars uh well i i find that cars are much easier to get pictures that are sort of conventionally acceptable. They're a lot bigger than uh, one guy on a motorcycle. Um, so it's just easier to track them as they go through, but it's much more difficult, in my view, to get an interesting picture of a car. Uh, because to me, the the really interesting thing about motorcycle racing is the rider. I love the technology of it. I think that's fascinating, but it's really the the human part of it that captures my imagination so i love the fact that on a motorcycle the rider is hanging off he's pushing moving forward moving back he's doing all sorts of things to affect the performance of the motorcycle from one moment to the next as a photographer you have the opportunity to photograph all of those instances and find the really interesting ones with a car the rider is you know the driver's inside um if you're lucky you can see just the top of his helmet but other than that it's just kind of a car going around a corner. Um, so there are certainly really nice pictures of cars, but for me, motorcycles are a much more interesting thing to photograph and to look at. Yeah, because that was something that I was wondering as you were speaking. I mean, when you're shooting cars, can you actually try and get a picture of someone? I mean, are you actually making a conscious effort to try and get the get the driver in the shot somehow? Uh, I know in uh, in open wheel that's actually quite difficult because as you see all all you see is the top of his head but I can imagine in sort of sports cars and stuff you might be able to see a little bit more. Well, the last time I shot cars it was the American Le Mans series quite a few years ago and they had open cockpit cars for the prototypes and sports cars, you know, Porsche 911s things like that. So you had both things on track at the same time, both types of cars and it's really difficult if not impossible to get a shot where the driver is the focus of the picture the subject yeah. of the picture is just sort of someone who's along for the ride and um, i mean i don't want to say that that he's not you know driving the car and the performance of the car <laughs> is down to him but in terms of the picture it's always seemed to me like the more interesting the car itself is the more interesting the picture is going to be it just doesn't have that human element of you know, you, you don't have Casey Stoner and Mark Marquez hanging off the bike, um, so that to me that's just a really different thing. So yeah, I think I think uh, the the visual aspect of the difference between cars and bike racing, you can you can clearly see the effort that um that the rider is putting into controlling and turning and turning and steering a motorcycle, and whilst there's no shortage of effort goes into driving those cars, I'm sure you you can't see that. You can, all you see is a head. Uh, and 
and that 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 aspect of car racing is it doesn't appeal to me you can really see what a motorcycle racer is doing and and the physical effort is is uh, clearly there for everybody to see so it would be fair to say that when you're shooting cars what you're shooting is the car and when you're shooting bikes what you're shooting is the rider well i think with bikes you have the best of both worlds because you also yeah. have these amazing motorcycles you know with their different colors and uh they're interesting to watch like this season we're having this crazy war with the winglets um just as an example of how the the machine changes over time and is interesting to look at but you also have the element of the rider which as i said to me is even more interesting than whatever's going on in the hardware side yeah on a on a round uh, i suspect this is going to go off on all sorts of tangents but uh, uh that just sort of raised a question but is there a, is there a particular bike which you look at it and you think oh my god how am i going to get a picture of that just because the color scheme is so terrible or the uh uh, or there is some specific aspect of the bike. I can imagine the winglets because the winglets look great, look re- really great from the front and a bit weird from uh, from the side. Is that uh, uh, when you see bikes like, are you thinking, how am I going to get this on 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 film? I don't, I don't really think of it that way. I I have much more um, concern about how am I going to print? How am I going to get a good print of that bike? Because some of the colors that the riders and sponsors use and their liveries just don't reproduce well with traditional photo prints. Uh, the best example is Rossi's yellow 46. It's really, really hard to get a good photo print of that bright yellow. It prints just fine with inkjet on canvas, um, but that's more expensive. And so for my customers who are buying prints, I always have to say, you know, you're you're facing a, a situation here where you're either going to pay a little bit extra to have that color look really good, or you're going to save some money. And that yellow, which is so distinctive, is going to have a kind of, to me, an, an unpleasant greenish tint because photo printing technology just can't reproduce that color. It's not part of the color gamut that that technology can offer. And the other writers use it too. Cal Crutchlow's 35 is the same. The Spargo brothers have that color. And then this year, a new one that I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I've got a, a customer who really likes Aprilia's. Those Aprilia's have that green on the front fairing now. And I have uh, I have to do some test prints to see how that is going to reproduce on, on photo prints or if we're going to have to find some other option for printing images of those bikes. Yeah, because Tony, I know you're uh, you're a massive fan of the Aprilia colour scheme, aren't you? <laughs> I, I am probably the biggest fan of the Aprilia colour scheme. I think we've talked about this before, David, and uh, I'm really not, not really sure what was going through their heads when they came up with that design. It's horrific. <laughs> the bike itself looks nice. The lines of the bike are nice, but the colour scheme is horrific. Yeah, I mean, is, is there anything for you that, uh, that, you know, when you're looking at a bike? Because also, I can imagine, uh, especially the TT, you tend to have bikes with a lot more uh, a lot more stickered up you've got bikes with a lot more sponsors and that sort of thing um uh, does that make it more difficult to to get a pretty shot uh it's not so much sponsors uh logos and and things like that i have in the past found that certain colors of bikes can be a problem uh uh, at the tt a few years ago the suzuki team was sponsored by an energy drink called relentless and their bikes were all black and uh I always struggled, particularly when using autofocus. The autofocus, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to like those bikes. Uh, and I have found that uh, in MotoGP as well with certain bikes. Last year, for whatever reason, I would struggle to get a photograph of Cal Crutchlow on the, when they were using the CWM, the, the white 
the white bike, uh, the uh, maybe just single blocks of colour like that, sometimes the autofocus system can struggle. Uh, because it that's what I found. Right, because it's it's really it, it it's really uh, uh, facing problems with uh, trying to sort of judge depth on those sort of things. Yes, I think so. Uh, and so, uh, it obviously needs a, some a, a nice contrast to to pick up and and work. And sometimes uh, just a single block of colour can be an issue. Right. So, well, for both of you, start with you again, Tony. How do you solve a problem like that? If you know you're going to have that problem, then perhaps you'd have to go go old school and refocus. Uh, Right, um, right. So you basically, you pick a spot on the track. You focus your bike. You focus your bike, or you focus your camera on there. But how do you make sure that you get the shot when they're only, especially the TT, when they're covered around three times? There, there you go. That's the that's the challenge, David. For the, the TT, you know, some races you might get four chances. Some races you might get six. And if you've if you've pre-focused and the first time they've come through that focal point and you've not quite got it, then somewhere like the TT, uh, you have to sit and wait. Uh, and perhaps not move on to a, another spot. You have to make sure you get that picture. So it can be a challenge. And modern cameras with their high frames a second, so nine, ten, twelve frames a second, can uh, that's where that's where those frames a second come into their own when when you are shooting on uh, in pre-focused and then firing a burst as the uh, rider comes through the focal plane. Uh, what about you, Scott? I mean, how do you deal with problems like that? Well, I had the same problem that Tony did with the, that livery with Cal. I'm glad that wasn't just me then, Scott. <laughs> yeah. And not just his bike. I've had that. It's it's kind of, it almost has a voodoo element because some days you'll show up and the camera will be focusing beautifully on certain bikes in the field and it just will, refuses to cooperate on other bikes. And then the next day, something's different about the lighting or something and the bikes that wouldn't focus the day before look fine. Uh, and I don't know what the science is that explains that or if there's something beyond science if there's something that i'm doing differently i often wonder about that like why results from one day or even a morning in the afternoon um, can be different when the equipment is the same you know the the weather the the shooting conditions are never exactly the same even from moment to moment the sun is moving if you have clouds that's changing um but I always feel like I'm more or less the same person taking the pictures. And yet sometimes I get really different results using the same equipment. I mean, I've been using this equipment for years. Uh, it works really well most of the time. Every now and then something happens and it just won't go right. And I don't know what the solution is. So I, when I go into a race weekend, you know, having done quite a few of them now, I... I have this sort of attitude like, I don't know what's going to happen today, but if, if I struggle a little bit, tomorrow will be fine because that's how it's been every race weekend. And, you know, I've run or sometimes, I, like you said, we run into younger photographers or people who know us from social media. They'll, they'll be at their first race with a credential or something and they'll come in and say, oh my gosh, Scott, I just, I just sucked out there. I couldn't get anything in focus. Everything was, was a mess and I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to go home. And I always say the same thing. It's like, that happens to me too. Just get through this session and go out there next time or tomorrow, whatever it is. And, you know, there's at least the chance that it will be better, that everything will be different and you'll be fine. So I don't know if you've had that experience, Tony, but uh, I definitely have uh, that over and over again. Uh, absolutely. And um, certain tracks can be problematic if the sun shines. Uh, Phillip Island is a track that if the sun the sun comes out and the, you build, you get the heat, heat haze build up can be a 
be a problem and those are all challenging things that are very difficult to combat and of course the the time of day we we go out racing at two o'clock in the afternoon if it's a if it's a warm sunny day is possibly the worst time to actually be out taking photographs i ideally we want to be out in the first few hours after the the sun has come up and uh, and just before the sun goes down where, where the light is at its best but obviously we we, we can't do that it, is that just about light or is that also about heat haze and things uh, factors like that it's a combination of both um a, a, a lot of times you people will say to you oh, it must be great today the sun's shining and you'll be turning around. well actually no it's a nightmare because because the sun is shining you get that that heat haze problem and as Scott will will say, there are some things you can do to try and combat it by shooting on the inside of a corner, perhaps, and giving yourself less uh, tarmac to shoot over the top of. But uh, when, once it comes to a, a race, it can can be very difficult to combat heat haze, and you, there's not a lot you can do with it. Uh, d- David, I'm going to say a little bit about heat haze because I'm not sure that everyone who's listening knows what we're talking about. Uh, right. This is a condition that happens often um, when there's a lot of sunshine hitting asphalt. The sun heats up the asphalt and changes the quality of the air that is just above the asphalt. And when it's nice and cool, the air is very clear. Light comes into the camera, nice sharp images. But when the air is disturbed by this heat coming off of the tarmac, um, it's the, the air is kind of wavy and it interferes with the light coming into the camera. So even though the camera is focusing on the bike, okay, the quality of the light that it's recording is often hazy, um, disturbed, not sharp. So this is something that we, as Tony was talking about, that we run into all the time because we have these large asphalt surfaces that we're shooting over. Whenever there's a lot of asphalt between where you're standing with the camera and where your subject is, the bike coming around the corner. Um, if it's sunny at all, even sometimes in the morning you'll get out there and, you know, I think Spain and Italy are particularly bad for this, about this for some reason, I'm not sure why, but even in the morning get out there and you'll, it'll, the air will feel cool, but it doesn't take long for that heat haze to become an issue for your photographs. So like Tony was saying, if you can cut down on the amount of tarmac that you're shooting over by going to the inside of a corner where there's only grass between you and the bike that will help a lot but sometimes on on race day there's nothing you can do you have to take pictures that tell the story of the race and you're going to be shooting over tarmac and often you just have to um, you know accept that heat haze is is part of the conditions for that moment can you use it sometimes because i've seen some especially uh, i think uh, magello there's one or two fantastic shots um of bikes coming over a crest and there's the heat haze and there's the, the mountains in the background so you can you can use them sometimes as well right yeah you can use it but um you would be it would be difficult to, to uh, if you wanted to sell a print or uh, you it, it would be difficult to, to sell a print like that because obviously you want to try and provide an image that is sharp and will print well but it can look quite effective on occasion is there a because we talked about print a little bit is there a difference between shooting for print and shooting for digital so shooting for websites uh uh, i was thinking about this when you're talking about valentino's um uh valentino rossi's the the colors on his uh of his number uh, scott does it make a difference i to me it makes a huge difference because the demands of a web picture are much lower than the demands for a 
picture that you're going to print. If you're taking pictures to be used on a website, the resolution you know, rarely has to be over a thousand pixels wide for most cases. Whereas if you want to make a print that's you know, even not a large print, you're going to want a couple of thousand pixels um, to work with. And then when I do large prints, 24 inches wide, 30 inches wide, I use software to create a larger file. And the success of that enlargement in software relies entirely on how sharp the original image is. So uh, you can get away with a lot more when the picture is only going to be shown on the website. In fact, as, as I'm going through and looking at pictures, I that's one of the um, criteria that I use. Okay, this one is going to be fine for web, but I can't make a print out of that. Tony? Yeah, yeah, exactly what, what Scott has said. Um, sometimes you can, you can uh, edit a picture afterwards that looks great, on uh, on screen but uh, would print horribly and you have to be aware of that particularly uh, uh, depending on how you're trying to to sell a print or pass it on to publishers so that's one thing to be wary of and also as scott says you might you might have some images that will be fine for uh, for website for website use but uh, you you wouldn't print them because they would maybe be a bit soft so you you could have a collection in your gallery from the weekend that you can you can send out uh, as web use but you wouldn't want to print them and that's a very nice business moment too when someone sees a picture and says hey I want to pick I want to print that shot and you have to explain what we've just been talking about well <laughs> that picture's actually fine for the web but I can't make a good print out of it yeah. Sorry. Would you consider this other one that would be funny? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, we've had a bit of discussion. What I think we ought to do is just go through, uh, go back to basics. First of all, uh, shooting kit. Um, Tony, what do you shoot with? What do you carry to a race weekend? Um, I won't go into uh, direct details, but in so much as uh, all the different lenses, etc. Well, some people might be interested in that, I suppose, if they if they have a knowledge of the, of the subject. I would carry two cameras. I'm a Nikon shooter, as is as is Scott. And, um, for those people out there who uh, follow cameras, etc., I have a D3S and a D700, which are getting a bit long in the tooth now, but still great cameras. Uh, I have a 500mm f4 lens, which is the big the big lens, but it was a compromise. Uh, I'm going to up as far as something like a 600 mil lens, which would be very difficult to carry. Yeah, how, how far can you shoot with a 500 or a six mil? And what what difference what difference in distance are we talking about, or, or close upness? Uh, I, without uh, having a visual aid to explain it, it's kind of difficult. Um, but 600 mil gives you an extra 100 millimeters over a 500 mil. Which, which actually, I'm not sure I followed that, Tony. Could you go over that again? Which, the, te is, the technical side of that. Yeah, um, which 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 is a reasonable amount. Um, it's when you add a thing called a teleconverter, which which would give you a little bit extra. Uh, so you can put that between your lens and your, and your camera, uh, and the one I have is a 1.4, so it gives me an extra 0.4 onto my 500mm, so it becomes a 700mm lens, where if you had a 600 then you could get out to 900mm. So we're probably losing a lot of people now with <laughs> with millimetres. <laughs> no, we, I, I think a lot of people would actually be... be 
a bit. I mean, we can't go into too much detail, no. but I definitely think there is uh, uh, there, there is sort of some uh, some interest in here. But yeah. um, uh, so but, so you yeah. So five hundred millimeters is the is the longest lens I have with me. Um, yeah. With the one point four teleconverter that I just mentioned, then I have a, a seventy to two hundred mil, which um, which is a lens I really enjoy using in pit lane for for portraits. Uh, and then I have a wide-angled lens, which goes from 15, which is really wide, to 30 millimeters, which is kind of standard view uh, for when you're in pit lane and up close to bikes and you want to get uh, that wide-angled picture. Right, so that's basically how you get a whole bike on a uh, uh, on a photograph is by yeah. using... Well, well, but particularly so you're not cutting off the wheels. Yeah, when you're in such close proximity to them as well, you know, you could only be a few feet away. And if I had the 70 to 200 in my hand, then I wouldn't be able to get the whole bike in. So I would have to have a, a different mindset for that. But uh, Yeah, so that is the main kit I bring with me. I do bring a flash, but I, I don't use it. I stopped using it uh, last year, start of last year. Um, and then obviously my, my laptop, um, and all the accessories, which, which, which I managed to fit in my case, but all my lenses, cameras, uh, will fit in my carry on bag. Right. And, and that's yeah, quite I mean, important to on, me, like on your laptop, a, you're using something like Lightroom and, yep. uh, uh, and you've got, a, a, and you've got a card reader for reading all of the, yeah. all of the files off the cards. Yeah. 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 So we carry, right. I do carry an awful lot of stuff, um, and it does weigh you down. Almost as much stuff as you, David, to be honest. I don't know where you get all the stuff that you bring with you. Biscuits, mostly. <laughs> uh, what about you, Scott? What, what, what do you carry at your races? Well, my uh, pack is full of much of the same stuff as Tony. If you want more detail, I did a post on the PhotoGP website not too long ago where I went over my entire packing list. It lists all the equipment that I bring, not just cameras and lenses, but all the other junk that I need, like my, my belt, my vest, um, uh, all the things for my computer, card readers, etc. So if you really want the gory details, you can go look that up on PhotoGP. But generally, I carry three bodies, uh, also a D700, a D3X, and a D4, also a 500mm f4 lens. Um, I always have my 70 to 200 on one of the bodies that I'm carrying because that's the most versatile lens I find that can use it in pit lane or trackside. And then um, either have a the 500 or something wider than the 70 to 200 on the other body. Right. So you basically you're walking around with three different kinds of uh, uh, three different kinds of cameras. I mean, would you actually so for example the fisheye or the, the you know the, the wide angle uh, lens? Would you take that out on track shooting or would you leave that back in? Uh, leave that back in the in the media center. So I don't like to carry too much stuff when I go out on the track. And while I bring three camera bodies to the race, I only carry two at a time. Um, right. I, each camera body is a different resolution. So I come up with a little strategy before I leave which one I'm going to use depending on what type of shot I expect to encounter when I'm out working. So I usually bring the 500, the I always bring the 7200, and then in a pocket of my vest, I have either a 24 to 70 zoom lens, which is a constant 2.8, or the wider 14 to 24 zoom lens, which is also 2.8. I just decide, am I going to go really wide this session or kind of wide this session? I go back and forth between those two. But you you you, you might use a, a wide angle lens out on track to take sort of uh, you know, uh, uh, landscapey types. You know, pretty pictures rather than pictures of bikes. Yeah, that's right. Always want to 
have that and I always try to remind myself to do at least one of those uh, per session, a wide shot just to set the scene so you can see what it looks like. Uh, you know, a couple of those from this most recent weekend at Coda shot some up from the top of the tower with a wide angle lens and then uh, from a couple different places just so that the viewer can see what the the wider view looks like. So in that instance, I'll say, okay, this is a good time to do this. I'll take one lens off a body, put the wide angle lens on, take a couple shots and then take it off and put whatever um, was on there to begin with. And I like to do that for, you know, those, those wide shots are just sort of establishing the scene um, in my view. So it doesn't really matter if the bike is on a hot lap or not. So I tend to do that on the warm up lap when the session is just started. That gives me time to put the wide angle lens on before the session starts. The bikes come around on their first outlap, and even though they're not uh, you know, leaned over and sliding around corners and stuff, the shot's so wide, you don't really miss that as an element of the picture. The bike is just a part of the picture of the scene, of the environment. And then once they go yeah. through that lap, which otherwise is not really worth photographing uh, because they're just warming the tires up, there's not really much going on that is going to make a compelling uh, photograph, in my view. Um, so as they go by, I've done my wide stuff. I take the wide angle lens off, put either the 500 or the 7200 back on. And then after, when they come around the second time, their tires are warm, they're doing more interesting things. And then I start taking the, the bike shots. Right. That uh, segues quite nicely into my next question was, um, Thank you. Uh, so walk me through a, uh, a normal sort of race weekend. How, how do you approach, because you, do you set out a plan? Uh, do you, you know, turn up on Wednesday night or Thursday morning with a, with a, with a preset plan or is there something you do every weekend? I mean, just specific goals in specific, uh, in specific sessions or, uh, Talk to me about that. Uh, Scott and I both work in a very similar way, actually. Um, we do both prefer to go out and shoot trackside in the morning because we touched on it before with heat haze and things. And generally speaking, the conditions are at their best in the morning because the, the light hasn't got it is it's still a little uh, little better and hopefully you'll y yield sharper images so generally speaking i do have a plan it will be to i will try to shoot the morning sessions out on the track and then the afternoon sessions in in pit lane and uh, i do that on friday and saturday and then dependent on how the weekend has gone i will decide whether i'm going to go out and shoot warm up or or not and then try and come up with a plan uh, for for the race dependent i don't get a vest every race uh, i'm still not um got my own vest so but last season i got a vest at most races so that throws up a different a different uh different thought process when it comes to shooting a race if you have a vest because the vest means you can go onto the grid uh, and you will get uh, some photographs on the grid and um you then got to decide well where am i going to go from the grid to start shooting the race and try and race up to the first corner or, or, or jump in a, in a shuttle. Or if you're really lucky, jump on the back of a scooter with somebody like Mr. Jones very kindly did for me and Bruno last year. We just about got there because obviously I'm not a small gentleman. <laughs> and uh, So yeah, so there, it, there is an element of trying to plan. Um, uh, the last race in uh, in Austin, I, was, I had a scooter, so that made life an awful lot easier you could just drive r ride around to various sections of the track and obviously knowing the track as well helps and 
if I if I didn't really if I didn't want didn't if I wasn't feeling a particular corner I could move on. Whereas if I don't have a scooter, I don't have that luxury. I have to try and plan in advance where I'm going to go. I'm going to go inside, or am I going to go outside? Can I get a, a shuttle bus to to where I want to go? And does that section of track give me enough interesting images from that one session? rather than just being stuck at a section of track that perhaps is only going to yield one or two different types of images. So there is a bit of a thought process that goes into it. And knowing the, the circuits is a big help. Uh, one A friend of mine uh, was at the, the race this weekend, Stephen McClements, and it was the first time he'd been to, to the track and uh, he felt a little bit lost and was sections that he wanted to go to that he didn't get to and... So circuit knowledge does does help when you're trying to plan a weekend. Yeah, because I know that one of the things which can make a difference is the circuits. Um, uh, as you say, there are shuttle buses riding around. Uh, uh, there's usually one both on the inside and the outside, right? Uh, some places you go to, they, they, they are designated inside and outside. Some places you can just tell them whether you want to go inside and outside. Some places are better for shuttle buses than others, and some places are not too bad and you can get away without without using them tend to try and walk out to the furthest point that I'm going to start shooting at and then work my way back towards the to the paddock. Yeah, I, I remember one year there were lots of complaints from the um, uh, from the photographers at Qatar because uh, what was it? They were all in Mercedes, like Mercedes E classes or something. So they, you know, all these photographers trying to get in and out of these very very luxury cars, because uh, normally it's all transit vans and all the rest of it, which are or, or Mercedes vans is much much better uh, just for getting in and out with all of your all of your various clutter, all your cameras and that. So. Uh, uh, yeah, it was quite funny hearing um, uh, hearing photographers coming in complaining about having to drive in a very in, in a nice luxury vehicle. Um, what about you, Scott? What, what what's your plan? When do you make it? Uh, again, very similar to Tony. I feel like we're agreeing a lot, and I keep looking <laughs> for an opportunity to tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. But this isn't, <laughs> this isn't it. Uh, my I approach very similar way to Tony. Although um, a couple things that I would add is that. I try not to do what I did last year. This was my sixth time photographing motorcycles at Circuit of the Americas, and I made a conscious effort not to take the same type of pictures that I've taken over the last season, the season before. Um, I think as a photographer, you tend to get into habits about that. And I know that some of the guys who do the whole season have been doing it for years, um, you know, Friday morning, they're going to go to a certain part of the track and they take the shots there. And Friday afternoon, they go to a different part of the track and they seem to do the same thing year after year when they get to a given circuit. And um, I don't, just my own personal opinion about that. I don't want to be like that. I want to try to take different pictures than I've done before. So that helps keep it interesting to me. And it also makes it more likely that I'm going to discover some new spot that you know, that I haven't seen before just because I'm out exploring. But in general, yeah, shoot the track in the morning, um, pit lane in the afternoon. And then on Sunday, Sunday's really busy because you, you shoot the warm up, And then as soon as the Moto3 race starts, you're just going strong. There isn't enough gap in between the races to do much other than make a quick pit stop in the media center, empty your cards, and then go right back out for the next grid. I think think Scott and I are both both quite lucky in in so much as we don't have a set brief. Uh, you must do this and you must do that. Um, so that I suppose there's an element of of being lucky and not having to do that. And also, it would be be quite nice 
from a financial point of view to, to maybe have that brief but so so some photographers perhaps will go to, to sections of the track because they know they can fulfill the brief quite easily without having to uh to be tested too much whereas scott and i not having having that type of brief means that we can maybe try and be don't have to play it safe all the time you can maybe go to a section of the track where it maybe is a bit tougher maybe they're really quick or uh, perhaps you do have to like the, a, a corner that i've found that you have to uh, pre-focus on is the inside of lukey heights at phillip island and i've been there with other photographers who will try and get as far to the top of the hill as they can so they can shoot with autofocus but the the picture itself is not as interesting as lower down where you don't see the tarmac and all you can see is the green grass and then the bike appearing as though it's riding across the grass and to get that particular picture trying to use autofocus is almost impossible because there's a there's a marshal point in the way you can't track the bikes through you're trying to pick them up as they come out after it so i found that the only way to get reliable pictures are that way at that section of track is to uh, manually pre-focus and that goes back to having the the time and to be able to do that and not having to follow a brief that you must get a picture from the left a picture from the right maybe a picture straight on that some photographers may have to follow uh, yeah um, that actually brings me on to another really good point and, and especially for you scott that um uh because to my mind, you have uh, created a couple of the truly iconic images in MotoGP in recent years. First of all, you've got the Casey Stoner picture with the elbow and um, uh, everything scraping at Barcelona. And then, of course, there was the fantastic shot of Mark Marquez with both wheels off the ground at turn one at, L- at Laguna Seca. Um, I know you think a lot about uh, about setting up photos and all the rest of it. Um how do you how do you find shots like that, and how much do you think about you know finding a shot like that uh, before a race? Well, I'm always trying to come up with pictures like that, but it turns out that's really hard to <laughs> <laughs> to, to come away from a race weekend. I mean, I've only managed to do it a couple of times, um, but the main thing that helps do that, I think, is when you're at the track just for a moment every now and then, put the camera down and just watch what's going on. Because you see things, you see different things when you're standing there and just looking without looking through the camera. The camera really narrows your view. And when you're looking through the camera, a large part of your brain, when I mean, when I say your brain, I mean my brain, my, I'm thinking about the exposure, I'm monitoring the shutter speed, the aperture, the ISO. I'm deciding when to press the trigger. I'm wondering if I have enough room left on this memory card. All these things are going through my tired, limited mind in that moment. And if I just stop that for a minute, put the camera down and look, sometimes I will notice things that the writers are doing that I didn't see when I was looking through the camera. So that's another thing that I'm constantly trying to remind myself to do. It's not easy to remember to do that because in MoGP, you know, the the sessions seem to get shorter and shorter as the years go by. And it feels sometimes like you're in a rush to really make the best use of the 45 minutes or, you know, however long the session is for which class you're doing. Um, to make sure that you get good value for your time out there and you come away with a variety of pictures from that session. You know, if you have transportation, that takes some of the pressure off. But if you're on foot and you're at a track where 
you know, there's some distance between the corner that you're working and the place you want to get to. Um, that's another distraction that makes it harder to just pause for a minute, watch the bikes go through and say, okay, is there anything special happening here that I didn't see when I was looking through the camera? Yeah, it's it's very easy sometimes to, to get sucked into taking pictures. And as, as, as Scott said, sometimes just stopping and, and watching for, for a couple of minutes. Uh, it's something that I need to do more and we were talking about Scott there and it's something that Scott does very well I think in in being able to pick out angles and and unusual pictures that uh, other people perhaps are not are not seeing uh, yeah I mean uh, I I highly recommend everyone go away and uh, read uh, Scott's piece on photo GP about uh, uh, about the first in flight and about how he found it and all the rest of it um uh, I know also sometimes those photos aren't, uh, they just aren't available because I remember telling Scott that um, uh, someone had told me that uh, actually at Cota uh, on the way up the hill to the turn one, that is the uh, that is the point on the circuit where the suspension has, uh, it has, it is compressed the most and gets the, the sort of the toughest, uh, uh, it takes the toughest beating if you like. Um uh, and I, I, I said to you, Scott, you know, can you take a picture of it? But you told me that was that was really it was just a really difficult shot to get, right? If you say so, as as I recall, I went and took that shot and I thought it looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you um, go. I mean, that's, I have that's... I have pictures of the bikes under full compression there, and yeah, you know, I remember the engine. I remember that time of the engineer, whoever it was, telling you that, and we both thought that that was really interesting because it wasn't just the greatest compression at that circuit, it was on the whole calendar of any track yeah, exactly. on the whole yeah. season. Um, and so I went out there and and tried to get a picture of that. And perhaps what was not fully satisfying at the time was that it, I mean, you can tell that there's full load on the front of the bike, but maybe it didn't look quite as much as uh, seemed to, that would match what the guy said. Like you couldn't tell from the picture that this is the greatest compression of the whole season yeah. right here yeah uh, so maybe that was it but yeah it looks yeah. fantastic on the data but not so much in a picture yeah. whereas um uh, when when you know someone's coming around uh scraping you know scraping everything around a corner or with both wheels off the ground that is uh, that's immediately obvious to a lay person um uh, speaking is there a particular i mean well actually no Tony, uh, you started shooting at the TT. Yes. Um, uh, still TT, do. Exactly, you still <laughs> do. Uh, but shooting at the TT and shooting at uh, shooting at a MotoGP race or shooting at a short circuit, the, the challenges must be very, very different. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's the same sport, but um, totally, totally different dynamics and totally different challenge. And you're dealing with such high speeds on a consistent basis that uh motor gp uh, you know you, you don't have those prolonged speeds you, the corners are not as fast as they are at the tt on on the whole uh you've got 170 mile per hour corners at the tt you, there's not many circuits on the on a motor gp calendar where they're going 170 miles an hour around a corner um so yeah and of course you have such limited opportunities at the tt compared to uh, your average MotoGP race, which is what 40, 40 to forty-five minutes, you maybe get, and you get, you know, maybe twenty opportunities, maybe more, depending on the length of the track. Whereas a, a TT race, so let's say like the senior race, you've got 
six six laps and if you're trying to move from one place to the next you might miss one of those laps or you might even miss two depending on where you're trying to get to and where from so you may have four chances to get it right and obviously you want to have more than one photograph of the top boys in uh, in each race so it can be it, it is a completely different challenge and requires a different mindset um and it's a a bigger test for your equipment as well are you doing a lot more pre-focusing at the tt or are you uh is it a question of setting up someplace and uh having a picture in your mind and then trying to capture that every time it comes by or is there a uh, is there more or less room for improvising compared to MotoGP? i think what's great about the tt is it just naturally lends itself to, it's just a naturally photogenic experience so you have the landscape elements to it to it thrown in as well as that some a, a MotoGP race you might have to keep your eye on backgrounds and you don't well, don't a messy background or you may have to um keep your eye on certain sections of the track that you might not want to go and shoot at uh, for various reasons whether it's too slow or or, or too fast or for, or for whatever the reason may be whereas whereas at the TT you you'd have that element there you want the lamp posts in there which if there's a post in a in MotoGP race you might not want to show that uh, whereas you do want to see that and tend to use faster shutter speeds as well at the TT because I want to see the the details in the walls that are there and maybe the expressions on people's faces so don't tend to use so much slow shutter speed stuff that uh, that i may may try and do at uh, a motor gp weekend uh, because i want people to be able to see those elements yeah exactly so yeah i mean with a with a uh, with a longer shutter speed you might be capturing a little more uh, a little bit more color but when you're carrying with a shorter sh- a shutter speed it's more about capturing the action exactly and uh, and i think that's key at the the tt you, you know it's it's Big jumps, wheelies, close proximity to spectators, trees, walls, and you want to be able to see that. You don't want, you know, sometimes a, a slow shutter speed can look great, and you get this nice blur, but it doesn't, for me, uh, show those elements that are, are unique to uh, road racing, which, which for me has been able to see the expressions on people's faces and the walls and the the lampposts and it, so all of these elements are very much an important part of actually taking a photo of, of, of uh, motorcycle racing photography it's not just about taking pictures of motorcycles it's about taking uh pictures of, of racing motorcycles in their in their context yeah so you know, yeah exactly but especially at the tt because uh, you want to add context to the to the image i, I had a conversation with somebody uh it was at the southern hundred road races on the isle of man and uh which is a another race i don't know if you're familiar with it david it's a it's actually a mass start road race on the isle of man rather than the the tt being the time trial format and somebody actually said to me what do what do i think is a great what makes a good picture so i said well all those elements that i would want to see in a, in a road particularly in a road racing picture and what they wanted to see was in your face as tightly cropped in as you can get it and so you know that that to me is does not represent road racing and you want to see all the elements in there right so you, you're trying to create a, a different picture for a for, for a different um uh for a different sort of uh, to express the differences yeah. in the sport in the in yeah. the discipline uh, uh, as it were but there are there uh, are some tracks that lend themselves to uh a very scenic tracks so at philip island is a very scenic track elements of Magello are particularly scenic with the hills in the background and uh you would 
shoot wider to to bring those elements in so you can see the the hills in the background at Mugello perhaps or the or the sea uh, in the in the back of the of the in the background at Phillip Island or the fences and toilets at Indy <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so uh, uh, quick question um favorite track well all right top three tracks to shoot up for the uh, for the two of you for scott first uh, philip island's my favorite by far um i love the variety that you can find there and unlike indianapolis and circuit of the americas also there aren't any fences to deal with um anywhere the marshals are very reasonable about trusting you to go only where it's safe for you to go so i feel like you could just shoot there year after year after year and if you kept on exploring you keep finding new interesting pictures there are other tracks that i always look forward to going i really like assen and it has really interesting corners which is half the battle if the writer is doing something interesting in a corner um, regardless of what the background looks like you can shoot tight and get an interesting image assen also has really nice crowds on sunday which makes a nice background but then the i guess that's the southern end of the track is similar to Phillip Island, really wide open with no fencing. Um, so there's a lot of variety that you can do down there. Um, and like Tony said, Mugello is really nice for the hills and the crowds. Um, I think Barcelona is great. Hareth is great. That's more than three. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, obviously my number one is always going to be the old man. The TT. Yeah, but we, we we have to take the TT out there out the equation. How can we just possibly do that, David? He's got to take the TT out of the equation. <laughs> Let's it's pretend the greatest it doesn't race exist, track on the planet. <laughs> exactly. So, so, yeah. All right. Apart from the TT, I mean, uh, and I can totally be, understand the TT uh, because any, of the uh, scenery. And any does it have to be MotoGP or can I can yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just or, well, you know, yeah, MotoGP or short circuit. So, uh, uh, any short circuit you've shot at. Uh, Cadwell Park is a good one. And Scott went there last year and he he absolutely loved the place. Uh, but in in terms of MotoGP, um, I really enjoy Mugello. It's, it's a great track to to take pictures at. Uh, I like Catalonia, but I don't get to go there certainly the last couple of years because it clashes with the TT. Uh, I enjoy Phillip Island. I struggled a little bit the first year I went to Phillip Island, but uh, I enjoyed it much much more last year when I when I had a better understanding of the track. Well, why did you struggle? I think it was a, a lack of circuit knowledge, and also the the sun was out unexpectedly for most of the time we were there, and I struggled with the as we were, the dreaded heat haze that we mentioned before. Yeah, uh, so that was a lack of circuit knowledge uh, came into play there as well. But I enjoyed it much more last year when I went there. But yeah, probably probably those three and and uh, Hareth, I really enjoyed, and I actually quite like uh, going to Valencia because it's. It's a lazy track to shoot at because you can actually cover an awful lot of ground without actually going anywhere because of the the layout of the track with the way it comes back in on itself. Uh, you yeah. can actually get a, quite a bit of variety without having to walk for miles, which which is a yeah. Bonus. Exactly. I, 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 as as a non photographer, but as a journalist, I can I can totally uh, I can totally see that because one of the things that I really enjoy about the Valencia test is the fact that you can actually walk uh, a lot of the track. So the you know the first day of the t Valencia test, lots of people on new bikes. So you're out there and you're having a look at them. You're trying to sort of like compare them to the way that they were riding a couple of days previously on the uh, on the bike that they'd just left. Um, it's always really really interesting seeing their body language on the bike. Um, I remember seeing... 
uh, uh, going there in 2000 and, uh, 2010 to watch um, uh, Valentina Rossi. And I made sure I went out, uh, I think, on the Friday or the Saturday uh, for a session to get a look at uh, to get a look at Rossi on the Yamaha, and then you know out, out on the Tuesday as well to have a look at him on the uh, uh, on the Ducati to, to to compare and contrast. So yeah, I, I could totally see why you would um, uh, why you would do that. Uh, mm. uh, why you would like Valencia? What about tracks that you hate? The tracks that from a purely from a photography point of a point of view um, should be taken off uh, uh, the the calendar, or you're glad to see the back of. Silverstone is a difficult track to, to take pictures at. It, um, there are some actual sections of that track that are quite good for photos, but it is a huge track Expanse. and it's very difficult to get around. Um, it doesn't have a service road uh, and the shuttle buses are a bit sparse. Um, Scott gave me a great tip the first year we went to Silverstone actually and we got the, the name and the number of a driver of one of the mini buses so that, that was that was uh, a big benefit but uh, yeah um, there's not too many really that I would say I disliked uh, but Silverstone is a difficult one for that reason Scott I'm glad that Indy isn't on the calendar anymore even that it just from a photography perspective how if not photogenic, really hard to work. The marshals there are all retired police officers who um, are, let's say, not cooperative no, when not, you want to just get through a gate that your pass, you know, it says right there that you should be allowed in. But uh, I, I just had instance after instance at Indy um, like that. It was really a frustrating place to work and really challenging, not in a good way to get good pictures there. Um, Silverstone is also really challenging. I think of it as the British Indy, Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, um, but ironically, I, I come away year after year with pictures that I'm really happy with from that circuit. So even though I'm kind of grousing about the size and the inconvenience of, of the experience photographing there, it always seems to be surprisingly rewarding for me. Um, Mazano is one that I... I went there one year and I really liked being at that GP because of the location right on the beach there. It was great to be there, but I have never made an effort to go back because photo, from a photography perspective, uh, it wasn't worth the flight from California, the hotel, the car rental, the Etc. Etc. Silverstone is a funny one because I love it as a, uh, a, a as a racetrack. I think it's absolutely sort of second to none. It's got a fantastic the the, the layout is absolutely superb. Uh, a lot of the riders love it. But yeah, I can totally see your point. It's perched on top of a sort of you know the the flat top of a uh, uh, of a hill, and there's nothing around it, and there's lots of gates and lots of um, awful uh, or pretty awful marshals. Um, Scott, again, you've segued into another subject I want to talk about. Actually, making a living doing it. It's uh, it, it, this is this is not it's not easy. It's not just you know rock up with your camera and then um, uh, uh, put a down payment on a rolls, is it? No, you know I got into this for the women and the money, and so far neither <laughs> one has has panned out the way I hoped. <laughs> Somehow, hanging around with motorcycle racers, the women are more attracted to them. <laughs> and, uh, what, rather, rather than a fifty-year-old photographer, how on the, earth does the business that work? side is is really, really challenging. You know, it's one of those things that is such a fun, cool job that yeah. there's there's much more supply than there is demand. And you know, with the advent of digital cameras and with 
new media, meaning that more and more people are showing up at races with credentials. And not that that's a bad thing. I think that's a good positive thing in general, but it definitely makes for even more supply when the demand is not growing at the same rate. So it's really, really hard to to do this as a business. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, you know, it, it's easy to, to be critical. Sometimes you see people of, of, of gripes of people giving pictures away and things like that. And But uh, at one point or another, we've all been there in that situation and you're trying to work your way up. And I've, I've not been doing it as long as Scott has uh, or as long as yourself, David, in the, in the paddock either. But uh, it is very, very difficult to to try and break into it and actually make a living doing it the expense the expense of it is so high if you particularly for for those who are doing a full season and testing and perhaps uh requirements to do team shoots and things like that those who who do who do it to that extreme and uh the cost of it is it is, is really huge so to to uh to then turn that around and try and make a living living out of it is very difficult so something that i'm doing myself this year which we which you guys are aware of is is looking to break into weddings and family photography in the hope that i can uh, make a living that way before the last resort of going back to working in an office (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean uh, certainly even for me even though i've been doing this uh, full time since 2008 um i still live in fear that uh uh you know this season could be my last uh because it you know it it it, it is a really tough it's it's a really tough job it's a really tough way to uh, to make a living um uh, what do you do to try and you know stand out from uh, from the crowd because i see lots and lots of photographs and a lot of photographs t- tend to be uh, you know pretty standard you know perfect uh, technically outstanding photos of a motorcycle racer on a bike which is just not very very which is not not very interesting. So what do you do to try to stand out? Uh, Scott? Try to stand out. I mean, I just try to take pictures that are a little bit different and according to my sensibilities of what makes an interesting picture. Like you said, a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the pictures that you see that come from the, the most popular agencies or groups of photographers, as Tony was talking about earlier, they've got a list, you know, they have to get X number of pictures of X number of writers at every session. So they don't really have the luxury to pause and think, well, how can I make this really interesting picture? And Tony and I do. Uh, so we try to do that and just hope that, um, you know, some someone will value that. Um, and if it isn't um, someone inside the paddock, then we hope that it's, you know, enough fans uh, like our pictures to keep us going and print sales that we're, we get to do another season or in some cases we get to do another race. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, what what do you do to try to stand out? Uh, I don't know. I, um, I just kind of shoot the way I naturally shoot. I, as, I mean, we touched on it before about not having the. It's a good thing and a bad thing not having the uh, pressure uh, to take certain types of pictures. I mean, it's a bad thing in so much as you're not getting paid, maybe for the contracts that you, that you need. Uh, but it's also a good thing because you can try and be creative and try and take the pictures that 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 you would l- enjoy looking at yourself uh first and foremost as opposed to uh just 
uh, ticking boxes to to get work done for the weekend and um as as Scott said um some of the agencies they are filled with really good photographers but they don't get the opportunity perhaps to show how good they can be because they have to to get jobs done and they've got a lot of clients to keep happy and so as you say David you you see technically nice photographs but they maybe don't do a great deal to excite you for compared to maybe somebody who was allowed to be a bit more creative and a little freer yeah because you don't have to you don't have the pressure of going out there and getting all uh, 32 moto 3 riders all 30 uh, moto 2 riders and all 21 moto gp riders yeah i mean that's both a blessing and a curse at the same time um is there a particular photo that uh, uh is there a particular photo? well two questions to to both of you is there a particular photo that you're proud of and also a particular photo that you know that you you missed and that you're really annoyed about yeah <laughs> um actually there are a couple of ones that i missed but the one that really bothers me the most is um i went to phillip island for the first year when casey rode there for the final time and i really wanted to get a picture of him coming through turn three in his unique way and i looked at it from all angles and just wasn't able to do it because there's there's so much runoff on the outside of turn three. There's a huge gravel trap before the fence um, starts and the service road is there. So the only way to get a perspective of it is from the inside of the hairpin. Is that yeah. Honda? Or, yeah. And, yeah, Honda hairpin. And you're so far from the track that the riders coming through turn three are tiny. Um, so... Um, I tried a couple of different things that, that first year at Phillip Island. Um, Nikon Professional Services Australia was there and loaning out cameras. And so I borrowed a D800, I think it was, that had 36 megapixels or something. And I think I borrowed a 600 millimeter lens. That was the longest one they had and a teleconverter to try to compensate for the how far away I was from the subject I was trying to photograph and I just couldn't get a picture that was the way I imagined it in my head. Yeah, I mean, the only way you could have got that photograph would have been if you were sort of, you know, standing on the inside of that corner, um, uh, uh, almost getting in the way of Casey's he goes through the corner. Is that is that more or less what you're saying? Well, I have tried it from the inside of the corner. I've tried it from the outside, from the back, looking at the backs of the bikes as they go through. Yeah. Um, the only way to do it would be to be out on the track just at the edge of the tarmac at great risk to my life um, as they come through. And, then, and shortly before they pull your pass and bow you from the paddock forever. Well, I, I wouldn't even make it because the run out there would be so long. <laughs> you collapse from exhaustion. There's, a, there's an idiot running on the track, red flag, and get the get the police out there to take him away. So I wouldn't even have time to get into position to take the shot. That's how long the... The, right, uh, so they're, they're, they're basically just uh, that's just the constraints of the track. It's just physically impossible to take uh, to take that picture. What about you, Tony? Uh, what ones that I've that I've taken that I particularly like, or oh, well, but e either and or both, but especially the ones which you miss because I think uh, that's much more interesting. The, uh, the the list of pictures that I missed would probably be too big to go into for various reasons. Whether it's <laughs> equipment has let me down or I've let myself down, whether it be. Uh, 
uh, quite, quite often you, you can, a picture can be missed because you've been shooting, say, into the back of a garage and you have your settings set up for that because it's very yeah. dark in there. And then you something will happen outside and, yeah, and you've forgot to change your settings or that's happened to me a few times where a picture would have been great, but unfortunately it had to go in the bin because there was no saving it. But uh, one in particular that I like uh, would be from would be a picture of Valentina Rossi from Qatar uh, last year in the the warm up session. They moved the warm up forward. It was earlier than it had been in previous years, so I went out to the back end of the track because I wanted to get uh, a uh, sunset backdrop. So we got the the paddock buildings in the background, and the, the lights were just starting to come on, and then we got an orange sky with uh, Valentino at the. Uh, just a, a relatively small bike at the bottom of the picture, and then you got the helicopter in the in the top corner. So that whole one came together really well, and that's that's one I particularly like. Is that uh, how much of that is luck? How much of it is judgment? How much of it is planning? It was all down. That was all down to planning. Um, but then obviously you have to hope that the, you get the sunset. But Qatar is usually pretty good for delivering a sunset. So. Um, I deliberately went out that way because I wanted to be, I wanted to have the subject between me and the sun. A lot of times you would try and have the sun behind you uh, to, to light to light your subject. But on this particular occasion, I wanted to be taking a picture into the sun because I wanted the sunset. So uh, the fact that it was Valentino was a bonus as well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to um, uh, when this podcast go, uh, gets put online. What I think I will, I'll have to do is to get the two of you to actually put lots of links to uh, photographs and all the rest of it on the uh, on the Facebook uh, on the Facebook page, um, yeah. uh, Facebook dot com uh, uh, Paddock Pass Podcast, uh, because there's so many great stories. And uh, Scott, you have to link your uh, first in flight uh, 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 picture, uh, the story behind the making of that picture as well. Yes, Just because sure. it's so it, it, it's so um, uh, illustrative of of how the whole thing works, really. Yeah, I'll put um, the gear list up there too for the people who want to. Yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. I think it, because it's hard to talk about pictures without actually showing pictures. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It really is right. If there's one, um, uh, if if there's one piece of kit which you couldn't live without, uh, which you wouldn't think of uh, sort of at, at first. Do you, do you know what I mean? The sort of thing which is the, the, the piece of kit which has saved your life and which when you first started you didn't realise you were going to need. That's a question. Scott? Scott. <laughs> yeah, thanks for preparing us for that one, Dave. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm making this up as I go along. I mean, if, well, for example, for me, as a journalist, the, the most surprising um, uh, thing that I didn't expect to be spending money on was actually a battery charger, which um, will uh, charge up single batteries, which means that I've always got a, ba a battery ready to go in my recorder because I've had uh, too many times where I've lost um, uh, lost interviews with not uh, uh, through not having... Uh, you know, from batteries running out on my recorder. Um, is there anything that you carry around? I don't know, tape, a, a pen knife, something like that? Oh, I just thought of something. What's a, that? Um, a set of Allen keys. Yeah. Something I never thought I had any. I use a, uh, I, I use a, a monopod, which for the people who don't know what a monopod is, it's just a, a single metal pole which extends up and I put my, my large lens on that, which helps take the weight. And I have uh, an attachment on the top of that, which goes between the camera and the monopod, which helps me angle the camera at different angles. And that can quite often come loose 
so I, I carry around with me a set of Allen keys and also a screwdriver so I can tighten up the plate that goes onto my lens which then attaches to uh, what they the the device I'm talking about is called a ball head it attaches to that and then the ball head can come loose from time so the allen key tightens those up so yeah a screwdriver and an allen key and if I don't have those if I've forgotten those and it comes loose the camera is all over the place it's <laughs> got anything yeah I'm gonna go with the uh, something that I didn't anticipate needing but now is a very important part of my packing list is the power adapter for any country that I'm going to travel through on my way to where I'm going to end up so that I don't get stuck in an airport in some country without a power adapter for six hours and I can't charge my devices so I look at my itinerary and say okay I'm I'm going to Australia but I'm going to be in Frankfurt for six hours so I've got to bring a power adapter for Germany not just the Australian one yeah, because otherwise you just end up running out of uh, running out of juice somewhere. You just sit there in the Frankfurt airport, <laughs> regretting not having a power adapter, <laughs> drinking <laughs> drinking vice beer, and eating sausage. Yeah, but it, it, yes, exactly. But that that can't compensate for the loss of uh, for the loss of electricity. I don't know. Zone. Vice beer and sausage can compensate for a lot of things. <laughs> Go a long way towards it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One last question: That is that both of you started out on film and switched to digital. Um, do you miss film? No. No. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, do, so what's better about digital then? Just the ease of use. You know, almost everything is better about it. Uh, you can take a lot more pictures without calculating at each exposure how much that one just cost you in terms yeah. of the cost of the film, but mainly the cost of the processing and the time to see you know, what it looked like, whether it was successful or not. So the instant feedback is great. Um, the fact that you buy your film once and use it over and over again without additional expense is great. Um, and the fact that you have so much more flexibility and the ability to try things that you otherwise wouldn't do. The downside of that is that your pictures that you show have to be perfect now because there's no excuse of, well, I had, I had three rolls of 36 exposure film today and I had one of those off days and my best pictures are kind of out of focus, but here they are. And, <laughs> you know, when you can take a thousand, 1500 pictures a day, you have to come up with some that are perfect. Yeah. 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 Yes, exactly. You, you, you can't afford to fail anymore. No. No, absolutely not. I, 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 I did start off with film, but um, I don't think it, I really got serious with photography until I went digital. And I think that would be the case for probably a lot of people who were occasional photographers and then digital came along and they got into it in a, in a, in a greater way because it's more accessible. Right. Okay. Well, I think, uh, I think that's enough. One final question. Can a, uh, can a photographer ever have too many um, uh, compact flashcards? No. <laughs> I think I do actually because I carry more than I ever use. Right, so you've got the perfect amount. I have, you know, large I have 16 and 32 gigabyte cards, but then I have a bunch of old ones that you know, fours and eights that I never have occasion to use. So yes, I have too many. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, you're probably right, Scott, that I think about it, but but they're there and I have them just in case the the other ones fail. 
Yeah. yeah. If you ever need to borrow one, Tony, I have some fours in these. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're so you're too kind. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I think uh, that's going to be uh, enough talk of a uh, photographer at the moment. Perhaps we can talk, uh, do something similar again at uh, at some point in the future. I I was I learned a lot. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Scott Jones. Thank you very much, Tony Goldsmith. Um, if you are, uh, make sure you follow us on the various social media. You want to be following us on the Twitter at uh, at Paddock Pass Pod. Uh, make sure you like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast. And um, make sure if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, make sure you uh, leave us a review because that's really important. Helps other fans find us. Uh, helps more MotoGP fans get introduced to the podcast and helps spread the word for um, <laughs> about MotoGP too. Right, so... Thank you very much, guys, and see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Right, that's good. Okay. Um, I can't be asked clapping because I can't see Scott, so there's no point. <laughs> I'm not entirely, Do you only not applaud entirely... when you see the, the Highlander? You, you, there's, no, there's no point in applauding if you can't see the Highlander. Exactly, it's an auto. It, it, it's like an automatism. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's like an automatic response. Yes. You could do a verbal one instead of a visual one. You could say three, two, one, and then we'll all say, "Woot, woot, <laughs> right. woot, woot." Right. Okay. Three, two, one. Woot. woot. Oh, you oh, right. lag, Bang on. But, uh, I was all over the place. Yeah. It could uh, be right. the just delays, I suppose, from the interweb.